Welcome to Everyday Evangelism, a new podcast series building up everyday Christians and churches for God's urban mission. Together we'll explore how we can confidently share Jesus in different urban contexts and connect with people on the margins of society. We're so glad you can join us. I'm Jason Roach, Director of Ministries at London City Mission, and I'll be joined by a range of guests for topical discussions, inspiring stories, and practical tips. By God's grace, we can see Jesus Christ known in every community. Welcome, and today we're thinking about how we can intentionally share the gospel in our social outreach. At our church, we have a food pantry. We're always thinking, how can we make sure that we're not just sharing food, but we're sharing Jesus, the the bread of life? And maybe you know what it's like to be walking home and to pass a homeless person and think, how can I get to a point even where I could share the gospel uh, with that person? And so in today's episode, we're going to be thinking about God's heart uh, for those on the margins. We're going to be thinking about how we can relate well to those on the margins. And we'll be thinking about practical ways that we can share the gospel uh, with people on the margins, whether they be uh, people who are homeless, maybe people who are refugees or asylum seekers, maybe people who have been in prison or uh, other uh, other things. So let me introduce our guests. Uh, today, it's a real pleasure to have uh, Luke Carson, who works for London City Mission and is the team leader for the Prisons and Resettlement team. Welcome. Thank you. And to introduce as well, Shamara Fletcher-Hoyt, who works for Churches Together England. And um, your role is Principal Officer for Pentecostal Charismatic and Multicultural Relations. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, let's let's kick uh, off straight away with thinking about God's heart for uh, those on the margins. Um, let me kick off with you, Shamara. What does the Bible have to say about this issue? Yeah, it's interesting that you say God's heart and not God's head. Go on, go on. You know, God's heart, that pursuit after those who are often dismissed, discarded by society. Whenever I look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that trait of God looking out for those who are overlooked. Even if we look in the bloodline of Jesus, we see a vulnerable woman, um, a prostitute or um, a, a sex worker, as we would say mm. in our modern language. Um, you know, she gets her story gets to be included in Jesus's bloodline. We see Mary um, who tells her her partner that I'm going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine mm. saying that today? People would be like, what on <laughs> earth are you talking about? But she gets included in the story. And then if we look at Jesus himself, you know, some would say he was a refugee. He was homeless. His parents are looking for, for an inn. So we see some through some of these examples that God has a heart for the least of these. He elevates them in ways that we have to respect them actually, that we do need to make space. And that just encourages me, even as a Christian, um, as I talk to churches, yes, um, we can do the whole, the kings and the queens and, and the big things, but let us not forget the least of these and those who are overlooked. Amen, amen. <laughs> Luke, would you add anything to that? Well, I agree because you can't really ignore it. It's throughout the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. You know, from the beginning to the end. Um, I was thinking about some words that I read in the Bible, like oppressed or afflicted or downtrodden or, mm. you know, the fatherless, the, even the prisoner mentioned, you know. Yeah. And those words, I would say, we see it all, all around us, the people that are oppressed, people that are, 
you know, downcast, things like that. So the Bible talks about people that are here with us, beside us today, our neighbors, you know. Yeah. Um, there's so many passages in the Bible that I could pick that kind of sum up why I feel this is important and why it is God's heart. Um, there's one that I've been reflecting on quite a lot recently. I heard some brilliant teaching on it. Um, in you know the story in Luke 16 of the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. I was heard some yeah. teaching on that and I thought that has some really practical implications. And firstly, did you know Lazarus in all the parables? He's the only one that's named. Which so he's known to Jesus. Jesus gave him a name. Um, but also, I think a lot of people when they either teach that passage or read it, they think that the rich man's punishment, him being in in Hades, is because he hasn't loved Lazarus or hasn't served the poor. But that's not true. He let him sleep at his gate, right? Lazarus was probably one of the most marginalized people in society, but he slept at the rich man's gate and he gave him his leftover food. So he took care of him. He, he fed him. But then he says, go and warn my five brothers. And the teaching I heard was like, well, actually, your crime isn't that you haven't you know, cared for him. Your crime is that you didn't consider him a brother. You don't have five brothers. You've got six. Lazarus is one of your brothers. So oh. it's really about this idea of you know, kinship. Like you would let him stay in this place outside your gate and you'll feed him and you'll keep him there and you're happy with that. You're comfortable, but you wouldn't let him sit at your table. And I think when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, this is a warning. A warning to a lot of churches, a warning to all of us really. You know, we keep people where we think they belong. We'll feed them because that makes us feel better. We'll, you know, we'll know their name. We'll look after them, but they have to stay there in that place. We won't let them any further. We won't let them at our, sit at our table. So that passage to me was quite shocking, um, I think, when we read it that way. Goodness me, I feel like we could stop now and just pray because I'm <laughs> deeply convicted by that. But, yeah. but let's keep going. And um, Shamara, look, tell us how you almost first got particularly connected with homeless communities. Take us back to when you were 18 and how that's shaped you in your journey. Yes, yeah, so at 18, I was at my local church. So my dad is a bishop there and my mom um, runs women across the country she's the leader there and i grew up in church where as a pastor's kid involved in everything um from singing collecting the offering just that annoying young person that's so enthusiastic <laughs> and um i remember we had an announcement that our neighbor had committed suicide and that really stunned me because i said how can i we as a church proclaim this good news and somebody next door has become so hopeless that they would take their life. Oh. And I felt so convicted to say, there's more than this. This is great, this is fantastic. We're not at fault, but there's more than this. And I remember looking out the window and saying, God, I need more than this. Take me um, into society, take me to the communities. Where do you want us to be amongst the broken? Yeah. Um, I think oftentimes within church, even within society, we love beauty. We love things to be neat and all together. But even if we look at the death of Jesus, it's messy, it's yeah. bloody, it's not beautiful. Um, you know, to have the most shameful death on on a cross in that culture, that was the most shameful thing that you can do, but God's story is in there. So I said, take me to the mess, um, yeah. take me to the highways and byways. And in the next couple of weeks, I went out with our local evangelist yeah. and I went onto the streets with him. Now on the way, 18 years old, I was um, in a dilemma. Do I honor the commitment, go on the streets, feed the homeless? Or do I go to my friends and go to the party and enjoy myself as an 18 year old does? 
And making that decision to honour that commitment changed the whole trajectory of my life. On the streets, I saw homeless people giving their last meal. I went out there saying, I'm going to be an evangelist. I'm going to bring Christ to the streets. Straight away, I was humbled. There's homeless Christians. I met um, a man called Ian, who literally gave me a five five point um, plan of how you engage with the homeless. (laughs) And I said, wow. And the first thing he said is, we're Christians. There's Christians here. You are coming to partake and engage, not to conquer or dominate. So that then gave us a posture of humility. There's learning here. Actually, God's presence is in the broken. What can we learn as mainstream society from this community? So I did that for about a year, going out onto the streets, feeding the homeless, ministering and being ministered to. Yes. And then I went to live in Chicago for a year. Okay. And then saw homelessness on an even deeper level because they don't have that social security system. So I remember walking past JP Morgan and seeing a homeless person sat outside with their limbs leaking pus. Mm. And that discrepancy then made me angry because I said, how do we declare that we are first world countries economically advanced, but we have people living like this on the streets? So I came back to the UK and I just had a zeal and a drive. I want to contribute. I want to speak into this space. Then we started um, a university group called Transform. We took students onto the streets, started talking to homeless people, asking them, why are you here? Um, And what is the injustice that's happening? Because oftentimes as churches, as Christians, as you were saying, Luke, we can address the symptoms. Yeah. We can feed you, we can house you, we can pray for you. But what's the injustice? What is the injustice why you're even here? What's even the brokenness within you mm. that you think you should live on the streets? And we wanted to tackle those deeper questions. Mm. Um, so from there, worked half of the week in Parliament, worked with um, a Church of England church, set up an open table, which I'll speak about um, <laughs> a bit later. But yeah, that that's my story really, just being compelled by someone committing suicide and saying, I want to be in the mess. Goodness me, thank you. And you know, when you're talking about um, this ministry you set up around a table, it mm-hmm. makes me think about how that, that the very nature of that, that activity le- is a leveler, yes. you know, different people coming around a table to share a meal and it just resonates with what you were sharing, Luke, about the Lazarus and the rich man story. Like, are we actually just recognizing that we're, uh, we're humans here, made in the image of God? So thank you for sharing that. Everyone has to eat, right? Yeah. Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I guess, how, how then do we avoid um, treating people in ways that, that, that treat them a bit like children? Do you know what I mean? Treat yeah. them like children. Have you learned through the open table principles that help with that yes so one of the principles i said to my team was we will never serve food that we wouldn't eat ourselves Ah. and that was one of the key um, levelers in the room if you're going to make something and serve it make sure that you would you would eat it too so that that then fosters um dignity and respect Mm. and another thing that we did with the homeless um people that we're engaging with we said you're used to receiving a meal you're going to actually cook a meal for the church. Mm, and the dignity I saw it give to people that what they're offering could actually serve the church as well. Yeah. 
that actually what you create is good enough for us. It's not just us giving to you because you're marginalised or in need. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you have value and we will eat it and we will respect it and eat together. So it was absolutely transformational um, for both sides, really. And just picking up on what you're saying there, transformational to both sides, did you see volunteers sort of coming and being involved in that ministry who actually did grow in their own understanding of connecting with people over that time? Oh, most definitely. Um, we had a volunteer, a lady, I won't say her name, yeah. um, but she she was vulnerable, went through vulnerabilities within her life. Uh -huh. And she became one of the key leaders within the open table, again, telling us what to do, how to engage with the homeless. We need to connect with colleges and we need to cook. We need to cook together. <laughs> so she kept us grounded. She kept us humble. It's not about me who's housed telling okay. the homeless what to do. Um, we need to learn. We need to listen, give space for different leaders and different leadership styles um, to flourish. So that's one one example. Thank you. Now, now, Luke, let me bring you in at this point. I, I've had the privilege of going into prison with you, seeing you in action, mm -hmm. and you've done a whole load of different styles of ministry. Like, What have you learned as you've been doing that, trying to connect with people on the margins? Learned a lot through making mistakes, I think, um, <laughs> and stuff we're still trying to figure out as the years go on. Um, the way I started going into prison, actually, was through my background of working with homeless people. Okay. You know, when I joined London City Mission, I was out working at Weber Street, and then we were running drop-ins in churches, you know, where we would serve food or or whatever, um, doing street outreach, all sorts of different things. But my way into prison was actually to support men who were coming out who were going to be rough sleeping. Yeah, and I think when I started doing that, we were maybe a bit too eager to give people things, to put uh, it that way, because okay. when people get released from prison, we'd meet them at the gate. They'd be, have nowhere to go, often have no ID. You know, all their belongings would be in a kind of see-through bin liner. They'd yeah. have their, you know, release fund of, I think it was like £47 at the time. Um, nowhere to go, nowhere to be. You know, we were the only people meeting them. So I think often I just felt like, well, what can we actually do for this person? You know, this is horrendous. We'd maybe go and buy them a sleeping bag or take them for a bacon roll and a cup of tea or something. Uh -huh. But then after a conversation with someone at my church, we were sort of saying, well, why aren't we more generous and more give, like, more loving to these people? So we come up with this elaborate idea of doing these gate release packs where they get a nice backpack with, you know, tracksuit trainers, all these different things in it, and we give it to people when they get released, and then we never hear from them again, or they'd be really awkward and uncomfortable with it. Uh, and I was like, hold on a minute, we have never, we've never asked these people if they want <laughs> us to give us these <laughs> these things, and I think when I reflected on it we were kind of putting them in our debt in some ways. So yeah. there was an exchange of something there and that took away from what I actually wanted to give them, mm. you know. Um, so I think we just have to be really careful what we do when there's an exchange of goods, you know. I think one of the pieces of advice I always give people, volunteers or missionaries or professionals, whatever, when they're starting in this type of ministry is learn to say no to people. If you uh -huh. get comfortable saying no to people, it gets a lot of the rubbish out of the way and you can work on the kind of the things that actually matter. Not oh. to say we shouldn't be generous and shouldn't give things to people when when they have needs, but we just have to be really careful and analyze what we're doing. Yeah, okay. You know, when we're giving things to people. Thank you. And that's I know just some one thing that I've learned, you know. That's it's super helpful. And I know there's a book called When Helping Hurts. Yeah. It, it sort of helps us to understand that actually sometimes just giving isn't always the thing that is most helpful Absolutely. in the end. Yeah. 
Um, in terms of, so, so we've, we've got to, uh, we're getting really practical now in terms of how we communicate with people. We're going to come across people who communicate in different kind of ways to the way that we communicate. Um, what have you learned about, about that Shamara um, communication styles, that sort of thing? Mm. What do you say? Um, with marginalized communities, yeah. yeah. So one thing that I learned was to honor that there's different ways of knowing, mm. there's different ways of understanding and interacting with the world, yeah. and they're all valuable. So for instance, when I work a lot with the homeless community, um, not all of them will be cerebral. Yeah. Some of them will have a different way of knowing through pictures or uh -huh. through art. And how do you tap into that? But then some are very cerebral and smarter than you and I mm -hmm. um, and are extremely intellectual. So I think having an open mind mm -hmm. um, when you engage, be genuine, have yeah. genuine engagement, be, be yeah. open to what people have to say. Don't put people in a box. Yeah. Um, don't assume that, oh, because they're homeless or marginalized, um, that they can't talk. As you said, helping hurts. Um, so we start um being very parental. Yeah. And I'm gonna come in here and, and do this for you. And it can be very patronizing. Yeah. I remember speaking to a homeless person, he said, I'm not a human dustbin. Oh, so in other words, people were almost like giving him their leftovers or what they didn't want. Giving leftovers, giving food, no conversation. Mm. Wow. Just walk past, give food, no conversation. Or how are you? Oh, I'm fine and they've already gone. Yeah, okay, goodness me. So they feel, he felt ignored. Yeah. That I don't exist. You're helping me to make you feel good. You've done your great charitable deed for the day and now I'll move on. Thank you. And just that phrase, like a human dustbin is just so powerful. Uh, what about when people come into our churches um, yeah, how do people just begin to connect well with people who yeah. walked into church? I think there's a there's a bit of an art to it because yeah. obviously we want to get to know people and hear their story, so that requires you to ask them questions. Yeah, I think we have to be quite cautious with that as well because if you're on the streets, for example, or have been in an institution, yeah, you'll be so used to telling your story to different professionals over and over and over again, and people are. Even if you live in a hostel, for example, there's quite a high turnover of staff in yeah. these places. So you have a new key worker every few months. So you have to tell them the most traumatic Everything and painful again. things in your life over and over again. So when you come into a church, maybe you don't want to do that again. So we have to be sensitive and gentle and very loving with people when we try and help them tell us their story. Yeah. So don't overwhelm them with questions, you know? Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. But also don't be afraid to, to get to know someone. and. I, another piece of advice I give to new volunteers or people in churches is when someone new comes to your church, we will most likely ask them, where are you from and what do you do? Yeah. But of course, that's very painful if you're on the streets. You know, maybe you haven't had a job for quite a while or mm. you don't have an address. So think of different ways to open up that conversation. Okay. Think of different questions. Yeah. Give us an example. So what does uh, that look like for you? I say things to people like, where have you come from today? Are you from this area? Yeah. You know, have you been here before? Okay. Um, how come you've come to this church? Did someone invite you? Do you know anyone else here? Yeah, Things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's other ways to open up the conversation. Yeah, which is kind of about what's going on in their life right now rather yeah. than sort of history from the past or, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. And it's it, give them the kind of the the power to tell you their story if you want to. I think there is a skill there where you can make people feel comfortable that they can open up with you and yeah. tell you a bit of where they're coming from. Got you. Thank you. 
Um, now, at a church level, how does how does a church just begin to make sure that the kinds of people that we've been talking about, the people who God has a heart for, don't get sidelined or ignored in the way that they go about doing ministry at their church? And I know you've got some thoughts, Shamara, just about actually the emphasis that the church puts in, in its programs and policies. Say a bit about that. Yeah, so um, one thing that I ask church leaders, especially say, you know, Shamara, um, we're interested in, in the vulnerable or setting up a food bank. I'm like, let's see your budget sheet. <laughs> you know, you can tell what someone's serious about and what they spend their money. You know, yeah. so is is that ministry included in your in your annual budget? Um, is there actual provision yeah. for it? Because it, it does show a level of seriousness. Also, even within your leadership, does everybody look like you? What would it look like to have a vulnerable person in your vision and strategy meeting for your church going forward? Um, also, why does it have to be on a different day of the week? Go on. What, what does it look like to have homeless people just sat in church and making our service uncomfortable so that I everybody um, can participate on the Sunday service? Is, is that us and them thing again? Like we'll have neat church on Sunday, yeah. then we'll have the messy ministry on Wednesday. Yeah. And if you've got a bit of time, you can come. Okay. You know, what does it mean to be really inclusive and everybody to sit around that table um, on a Sunday in the presence of God. So I, I always um, provocatively challenge people on that. And I do think it gets a conversation going. So yeah, your budget, um, your leadership team, and what does it look like for all to be included on a Sunday? Wow, thank you. And this is, this is one, powerful stuff. Yeah, thank one, you. Please, one other go thing on. as well is um, sharing yourself. You know what you said, Luke, oftentimes we're asking people for their story. Yeah. Why don't we share our story? Yeah. So that it's really reciprocal. So yeah. we don't become a culture vulture and we just want your stories, your trauma um, for the sake of it. Share some of your own traumas. Yeah. You know, everybody's going through something. Everyone's been vulnerable at some point. Just because you see me all together, you don't know what I've been through. Yeah. I just might wear it better or conceal it better. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really helpful. And we might come back to that, I think. So it's just a, let's dig into that a little bit more. And I mean, one thing is, as people are really trying to lean into this, um, they need to be go into it with their eyes open because there are going to, they are going to be connecting with people who've had complexity, I guess, in their lives. Luke, yeah. say, tell, say something about that. Yeah, we shouldn't be naive to how chaotic people's lives can be. You know, often people that come through your church doors might have problems in their lives a number of them that even just one of those things would make us fall to pieces you know yeah. the stability and the structures in their lives might not be very strong um so they can disappear for a while they can present issues to you that you've never faced before they might be asking you to help them with things that are way out of your comfort zone yeah their behavior might make you feel uncomfortable um Obviously, you know, we have to do things safely and with, with good boundaries as well. We, we always encourage that, you know, we want everyone to be safe and there's other people to think of. Um, something in my church we've been thinking a lot about, certainly with the people that would do the marginalized ministries or look after those projects and mm -hmm. types of ministry. We kind of talk about how there's a difference between a church, someone being welcomed to church and someone really belonging to a church. So 
Churches are all very good at welcoming people. We can give mm -hmm. someone a coffee. We can ask them how they're doing. What's your name? How's your week going? Yeah. But then when someone's not there, do we really miss them? Do we notice that they're not there? Mm. And then what do we do with that? You know, I was just talking to a guy from church this morning and one of the chaps from the refugee football hasn't been for a couple of months. Yeah. And there was three or four of them were just like, we got to find out where this guy is, what's going on. And then he told them, you know, he's struggling with a bit of depression. So they're like, right, we're taking you for lunch this week. Come on. And they really got a number of people from church really got around him. Yeah. Like, we've missed you at football. Where have you been? You know, so we need to kind of like maybe try and move from being welcoming to get into those relationships with people where we notice when they're not there and we do something about it. Yeah, I think that's you. not easy to do. But I think that's the kind of culture we should be trying to work towards in church. And, and I think it connects with something we've talked about earlier, that actually it's seeing people as blessings yeah. rather than just burdens or, yeah. you know, people who happen to be there. You know, if we thought about the people who, uh, you know, the person who comes along to the football match, whatever, is this is this is just God bringing blessing into my life. Mm -hmm. Then when they're not there, you've got, I'm, I'm missing out on blessing that yeah. God wants to bring to me. Yeah. I'm missing out on something of Jesus that he wants to bring into my preaching. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a difference. Absolutely. And I mean, there's a, we know there's a big difference between loving people and liking people. Mm. But I always say, <laughs> when you make an effort to love those very difficult people, the challenging people, <laughs> often you learn to really like them as well. You know, yeah. you can become very fond of them. Um, so I think if we have an open mind, open eyes towards that, yeah, that's us changing, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah, absolutely, amen. Um, let's let's begin to think then about how we share Jesus with people who we're getting to know, who are building relationships with. And I guess there can be some barriers, some reasons why we don't want to share Jesus or nervous about it. Do you, would you say it's exploitative to do that? Is it exploitative to to share Jesus with someone who's maybe come along? to a food bank or come along to one of the, the table events like you described earlier? Is it exploitative to, to want to share the gospel with them, to try and share the gospel with them? What do you say, Shamara? I think that you should be authentic and genuine about the reality that there is need uh -huh. and be transparent about that so that you're not instrumentalizing people to convert them. Okay, now just you say know. a bit more, so instrumentalizing people to convert them, you, yeah. you mean sort of treating them as a means to an end sort of thing? Yeah, yeah okay. Um, let's get our numbers up. Um, let's say that we, we've we hit our evangelism targets. Yeah. You know, be genuine about the need so that it isn't exploitative or that you don't create an unhealthy dependency. Yeah, um, yeah. Because as Luke said, there is power at play here. Yeah. When um, you're giving someone something that they need and that mm. you might have, you, you will hold a level of power. Yeah. So just being honest yes about that and um, but also not ashamed that you are a christian and that motivates you yeah. to do what you do okay so if okay. people are ready to ask you why you do what you do you're not ashamed to to share because i'm a christian i believe jesus a belief in jesus motivates me to do this but that won't be a hindrance to whether i serve you or not okay and i, I love that just in terms of we're not making um receiving a plate of food or some sort of assistance, practical help, dependent on you accepting Jesus. But this is just part of what we bring to the table. It's, it's who, we, who are. we are. It's who yeah. we are. Yeah. You know, we say we follow Jesus, right? He died whilst we were yet sinners. Yes. You know, some things you just have to do because it needs to be done. Yeah. Um, and then if people want to talk about the why, we're open, we're not ashamed or embarrassed of that mm -hmm. either because then that can be manipulative. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, or lying. But sometimes I guess we can feel like we don't have anything in common with those who we're 
trying to share Jesus with? How do we navigate that, Luke, what do you say? I think that is a big problem for people. They think if I'm not the same as this person, if I don't share the same story or background as them, then how can I share the, my faith with them? How can I share the gospel with them? But you remember, we're, we're not pointing them to ourselves, are we? We're pointing yeah. them to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd be doing them a great disservice if we pointed them to ourselves and said, <laughs> here's the answers. We're pointing them to Jesus. And I think I've learned that it's really important to read the Bible with people, to talk about God with people rather than at them or, or to yeah, them. Yeah. So again, coming back to people being a blessing to us, I find in prison so often when I read the Bible with people and allow them to have input and rather than me just teaching them, I learn things, they view things in a different way. Um, so learn how to do that. You know, if someone comes to you and you're talking about an issue they might have, say, well, let's open the Bible, let's read this passage together or let's pray together about it. Yeah. You know, I think just opening that up rather than you doing things for people, start yeah. doing them with, with them. And I think going back to the whole idea of food and handouts and stuff, you know, obviously those things are important because there's a need, but we should never think that that's kind of the final destination. Like mm. it's always just something to build a relationship with someone to get to know the person yeah. who's sitting in front of you. Yeah. Um, and I think as that relationship builds and the conditions are taken away, it's much more easy and natural to share the good news with them. Um, and certainly at, at Weber Street, you know, there's a morning Bible reading and gospel talk there every day, but they also feed people and give them showers. If you don't want to stay in and listen to the Bible talk, you can go and wait outside. You can stand yeah. in the alleyway and smoke your cigarettes, drink your coffee, do what you want to do. No one's going to force you to sit in that seat. Yeah. And also the bottom line as well is we can't force anyone to do it. You, can, you don't have to listen and you don't have to believe what I believe. I can't force you to do anything anyway. I'm yeah. just telling you good news. Take it or leave it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. don't stress about it too much. <laughs> Love that. Don't stress about it. Now, um, we've had the privilege of being involved in uh, ministries that have been connecting with people on the margins. And we've seen how people have been personally transformed through it. I know you mentioned Evshen earlier. Yeah, so Evshen came um, to the church and he was um, sat outside basically screaming. Um, If I could give you an analogy, I want you to imagine the man um, in the caves that was cutting himself when Jesus was walking past and he's screaming and shouting out a modern day version of that if you want. Yeah. Um, very traumatized, um, a lot of mental health issues coming through, people just scared, um, running through the gates to get past him. And I remember said, let's talk to him, let's bring him inside, give him a coffee, even if he shouts and screams, let's just... So he's outside the church at this point? He's okay. outside the gates, yeah. yeah. So we invite him in, he just calms down, he can't believe that we've actually engaged with him and giving him some coffee. And over working with Evshen for about a year, we took him out. Um, He then said he wanted to come out onto the street. So he came out and started to help. He then became our porter. Um, He then started to help set up the table and set up our initiative. He then helped to cook the breakfast for the church. Um, And we were having a Bible study one day and Evshen looked into the corner and said, I can see a light. I can see a light. And our priest at the time, Father Angus, we shout you out, you're amazing, Father Angus. <laughs> um, just said to him, what What do you see? Is it Jesus or? And he, he said, yes. And he said, would you like to be baptized? And Evgen said, yes. And we arranged Evgen's baptism and he got baptized about a month later. 
And as Evgen's in the pool, he's just looking up to the sky. And I said, wow, can you imagine last year he was sat outside mm. the church screaming and shouting. Now he's inside contributing, having dignity to adding to the program, now giving his heart to the Lord. But we didn't do that so that you would give your heart to the Lord. You, Your process, your experience of experiencing love and dignity and honour led you to say, why are these people doing this? I want what motivates them. And again, for people working within this space, you might just be a small part of somebody's journey. Mm. Don't hold on, just do your bit plant your seed and you never know what that person will go on to do in the hands of God but just just play your part don't be possessive because I think sometimes within this space if you're motivated to help the marginalized you can get parental yeah yeah, um, yeah but sometimes you have to learn to let go do your bit you can't do more than you can do um so yeah that's that's the story of of Evshin. wow and it reminds me a little bit of that story of Zacchaeus where Jesus picks out the person who was the most unlikely the most on the edge and actually says i i want to come to your house uh, and yeah. eat with you do you know what i mean and that was an opportunity to share the message of salvation mm -hmm. uh, with him we're going to hear now from scott uh, who has the opportunity to minister at a prison uh, just around the corner from his church which is in kentish town and uh, we're going to hear something of his story now yeah my life as a as of a Christian is completely different. And, you know, since I joined the church and then my wife joined the church, I've been baptized, she's been baptized, my children joined the church, my son's joined the church, you know, and not only that, life changes. Once, you know, once you're a Christian, you have to think about things a little bit more serious and sensibly. So, you know, and I try and, you know, help out more, which I think is important. I feel comfortable with people around prisoners and them sort of guys, that I'm comfortable with them. So I just knew I had to do it. Same thing, I just thought, where best can I, you know, talk about Jesus to people? Prisons, I can definitely do that okay. I go in at least once a month to serve on Sundays and I'm also helping on the Alpha at the moment. When you know we have a bit of worship, and then there's some there's some talking, and then there's some time for for the prisoners to get prayed with, and then a bit more worship, and then that's it over. It goes too quick. During the the, the service, I like to sit right in between all of the guys, and you know have a little sly talk when no one's watching, and uh, and then I get up and I go to the side when it's time for prayers and I pray with people. So there's one young man in particular that I, I, I tend to talk to quite often in there and he's been listening about Jesus, but I can tell week, week in, week out, there's an extra bit of a smile, an extra bit of a smile. And then we got him to come to Alpha and by the end of that second week, he was asking me, can I bring him a sheet of paper with some of the best sort of like uh, parts of the Bible that I really like because he wants to start to listen through them ways first instead of going straight into the Bible. And I was like, yeah, so that's what we'll be doing for next week. I enjoy Sunday. When it's, when it's Sunday morning, it is probably the happiest morning of the week, for, of the month for me, to be fair. 
not only do I feel that I'm so lucky to go and, you know, speak to these guys and share the good news of Jesus with them, but I get to listen to their stories and some of their stories are really touching as well. And I find lots of them never got to know Jesus before they started coming to church in the prison, which is really a shame. It really is a shame. The first time they're hearing the gospel is literally in the, in the prison chat bill. So Luke, you know um, Scott very well. Yeah. And um, it's clear he feels comfortable and thrives in that environment in the in the prison. It turns out he's also got a background in MMA fighting as well. Is that a prerequisite of going and working in prisons? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm glad about that. I'm glad about that. <laughs> but um, I, I guess there can be assumptions about the sort of people who yeah. can do this work and those who can't. Yeah. What do you say to people who are worried about that? I would put those assumptions in the bin because <laughs> our wonderful volunteer team is made up of all sorts of different people from different backgrounds, ages, life experiences, and they're all bringing something to the table. So don't count yourself out. Okay. Um, if you're an authentic person, if you're genuine, if you love Jesus, get involved. I've definitely seen people come in to prison or to a homeless centre and maybe add a bit of extra spice to their testimony to try and make it relatable to people. Uh, and everyone can see through that straight away. Okay. I've seen people stand up and say things that I know are not the whole truth or an exaggeration. Yeah. And I think, come on, everyone knows. Just just be yourself. Yeah. And people will learn to trust you. You know, that's the way it works best. Um, we've got all sorts of brilliant people on our team and I just, I'm so glad that they feel like they can just be themselves and you'll meet someone that you get along with and you'll build some rapport anyway. Oh, thank you. Well, as we heard there, Scott tells a story about uh, inviting someone along to an alpha course, and in the course of that, they uh, ask him to write down some Bible verses, and the encouragement he took from that seemed to be quite profound. And is it fair to say that that as we go about this ministry, we're not just looking for the big changes, but small changes as well? Mm. Yeah. Firstly, that's how you sustain yourself in ministry is to define what success is. Mm. You know, it's different for every person. For some people, it might just be, oh, they're still alive today. You yeah. know, celebrate that. Um, but also it's about seizing those opportunities, those little small victories, and also moments of crisis in people's lives as well when they're asking questions, when yeah. they're, a window opens to them saying, hold on, is there more to life than this? Yeah. And I think that was definitely the case with what Scott was describing there. Um, someone's saying okay this thing's going on in my life yeah what does the bible say about that you jump on that opportunity if someone you know starts asking you questions that are of significance to them that's the chance to share the gospel you know a, a guy came to me recently in in prison and said you guys always talk about forgiveness um this guy's stolen loads of money from me he's meant to be my best mate i want to forgive him but i can't what what would you do and i thought okay let's chat about this <laughs> so Things like that, you know, there's there's always going to be a little opportunity and you have to be consistent in people's lives. You have to be patient. You have to be present there with them. You have to remain kind of stable enough, yeah. if you can, to be able to be present in those moments of either celebration or crisis when they're saying, hold on, I've got some big questions. And at that point, you point them to Jesus. And and so, so it's the 
the ongoing relationship that mm-hmm. creates the opportunities yeah. sometimes over time. Yeah, and it can take a long time. Yeah. I heard about this guy who used to walk his dog same time every evening and he'd walk past a Tesco or a supermarket and there'd be a chap sitting there begging outside yeah. and he used to start off he would just say hello then you know as the weeks went on he would stop and have a bit of a chat then he found out oh this guy likes hot chocolates so he'd go to the, co- the coffee shop and he'd get two hot chocolates and they would talk about football yeah. I think and the weather for about eight years before he shared the gospel with him and I'm not saying that's a good strategy you know necessarily <laughs> but it took him eight years to get to that point yeah but yes, you're right. It's about being consistent and building that relationship so that when the time does arise, when it feels right, go for it. Sometimes we're so busy yeah. meeting so many different people all of the time. That actually, if we really wanted to connect with a new group of people, we're going to have to let something go. Mm. And mm. just just that commitment to years and years of doing the same thing, same time each day, mm-hmm. uh, that just takes some other things are going to have to go by the wayside. Yeah. You can't do that with everyone, presumably. Yeah. But he did it with that one. Oh, well, you don't have to do it with everyone. If you tried to do it with everyone, nothing yeah. would happen. Yeah. It's better to probably commit yourself to a smaller number of yeah. people or even just one individual. Yeah. How how do we get started with connecting with people if we've never if we've never done this? I think we've said some of this already, so I don't want to repeat. But how do we get started? What's the first things we want to do with individuals who we want to connect with? Okay. Um, so something that we used to do is a framework called Research action evaluation uh-huh so we used to research who are the people that we want to connect with who who are they yeah um where are they where yeah. do they reside so for instance um we were saying we want to connect with homeless people in the area okay where are they yeah who are they who are the organizations working with them so we could then be strategic and intentional yeah. about building relationships in those spaces so for instance i knew okay um every night between six and nine um our homeless community are at shadwell station Mm. so between six and nine i'm gonna go to um shadwell station instead of going at one o'clock and no one's there so it helps (laughs) to be intentional with resource and time yeah then action do something um even if it's small even if it doesn't work out um so we said okay we'll bring some copper soup and just stand there and see what happens yeah and we didn't do this massive project just something small do an action yeah and then evaluate it so when we got back how did that go what worked what didn't work um and that that framework really helped us in our engagement yeah. it helped us to be intentional to be focused um and to serve that community as best as we could with the resources and time which can sometimes be limited yeah. um in church spaces Society. And I guess we want to we want to bathe it all in prayer. We want to s- start by just sort of praying and asking God to open yeah. up opportunities for us, whether it's with individuals or with groups as well. Would you add anything to that, Luke? Yeah. I'll definitely second that. I say always do your homework. What's going on in the area yeah. already? What already exists? What are the experts doing? The professionals. Yeah. A lot of people approach us with what they think are fantastic ideas to reach homeless people <laughs> or to <laughs> save people who are in prison. And I would say, okay, who else is doing that? And they don't know. And I'd say, okay, go and find out and go and watch them, learn from them for six months and then come back to me. And you never hear from them again, you know. So I think it's really important that people do your homework. Because if you do engage in those one-to-one conversations on the street with someone, you can say to them, oh, did you know there's this project happening around here? Or you can go here and get some food. You know, why don't I show you where it is? Whatever it might be. So, yeah, do your research on what's going on in the area already and learn from people who are already doing it before you launch okay. into something on your own brilliant you said learn from people and I, I guess 
there's an opportunity for people to learn from people like yourself, I yes, guess. Yes, of course. Um, definitely get in touch with us in terms of if you want some training on any of these specific things or if you want to come and see how a ministry operates, yeah. um, what we're doing, please do get in touch. Now, if people are already got an established ministry maybe they're running a food bank or something and they want to know how do we get more intentional about sharing jesus in this situation what would our top tips be for them shamara start us off um so my top tip would be i think as luke said check out people who are doing it already yeah um you know do it it's okay <laughs> to make a mistake yeah it's okay to get things wrong i think sometimes we live in a society and culture of perfectionism yeah and everything must take the box or we'll never do it again or we must be an expert to start yeah um you know sometimes share feel awkward but but just do it and i think the final thing is to have confidence in the gospel that you believe it doesn't depend on you actually i really do believe the words that we believe have life yes um, and sometimes, as I said, you're planting that seed and someone else will do the watering or they'll go away and, and look into it. So take the pressure off yourself. You don't need to do um, a 20,000 word dissertation on why it's great to know Jesus. Um, yeah, j just start small, be genuine, be authentic. And that's what I'd say. OK. And then, uh, Luke, anything to add to that? Ask yourself difficult questions, analyze and assess what you're ministry has been doing if you've been doing it for years don't just keep doing it the same way as you've always done it um yeah. and ask for support and help if you need it okay. and i think seek opportunities in your project or ministry for the people that you've been serving to come and serve others you know can you empower them can you build them up so that they are now part of the team or able to volunteer or serve in some way yeah yeah Thank you. And if you did want to follow up and find more help from London City Mission, it's londoncitymission.co.uk forward slash your church. That's one way people can uh, find out more. But, but as we begin to draw to a close, what would be the one bit of advice that you'd give people as to the next step that they could take? We've shared so many things uh, over this podcast. What would be the one thing you'd want to say to people above all else that they could do as a next step. Uh, let me start with Luke. Okay. <laughs> I am going to steal a quote from a very good friend of mine in ministry and I'm not going to give him credit for it because <laughs> I, I want it. But he used to say, don't see a person as a set of problems to fix, but someone to get to know. Uh, I think that kind of sums up what we're about. Thank you. Shamara. I would say overcome the fear and do it anyway overcome the fear of not knowing what to say am i good enough all of that is secondary yeah just do it thank you so much it's so striking isn't it when jesus sends the disciples out were they ready did they even know <laughs> what it meant to follow jesus <laughs> uh, as he sends out the 12 and then the the 72 uh, and and presumably a lot of that was about it's not about you. You need to rely on on me. Yeah. Uh, so bless you guys for what you've uh, shared there. Now, our, our website has got a whole number of uh, other resources available. Please do uh, go across and visit that. Uh, we're going to pray and I'm going to ask Shamara to lead us as we close out this episode. Let us pray. I'm going to pray for three specific areas. Number one. We pray for those in government, those who are writing policies, for those who are marginalised in our society, that you'll give them wisdom 
um, that you will give them compassion, that you will give them a heart as they are writing policies that can affect millions of people. The second thing I'm going to pray for is churches and volunteers who are working with marginalised communities, that you'll give them strength, that you'll give them insight, that you'll give them a fresh vision and a heart after you, O oh God, to work with, to be with, to belong with the marginalised. And finally, I pray for those who are experiencing marginalisation, oppression of any kind. I pray that you'll give them dignity, that you'll restore their humanity, that they will know that they are valued, cherished, loved, and most importantly, known, and that they will walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, we pray that you'd have a, a blessed Christmas, and we look forward to seeing you in the new year, where we'll be looking at our next topic, which is, how can I be praying for God's kingdom to come in my community? See you then. If you want to know more about what you and your church can do to help those who are homeless and marginalised, come to our conference on Saturday the 27th of January on Purpose and Empowerment. You can have a look at lcm.org.uk forward slash purpose and sign up and find out more. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that you've been inspired to take your next step in building connections and sharing Jesus with those around you, especially people on the margins of society. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, why not subscribe and recommend this podcast to a friend? Visit our Everyday Evangelism Urban Mission Resource Hub at lcm.org.uk forward slash resources to find all the latest episodes, as well as a range of helpful tools to help you confidently share Jesus and connect with people on the margins of society. Follow London City Mission on social media to stay up with all the latest content.